In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's been a hard year, hasn't it? Both 2020 and now 2021 already. There are the public events with which we are all entirely too familiar, as well as our personal experiences with grief, illness, loneliness, insecurity, broken hearts, and broken relationships. It's been a troubling, anxious time. And that anxiety can manifest itself. It has manifested itself in many unhelpful, some downright hurtful ways. And yet, here we are, gathering, coming together however we can, searching for a good word, searching for something that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this life can hold on to. And here I am, attempting to speak into this moment, though, truth be told, I'm as sad and confused and weary as you are. So I'm holding on. I'm leaning on what I do know. God is here. God is with us. God is with me and with you, with, with us and with them, however you define that. God is with our church and with our country. And God is good. How do I know this, you ask? Well, the Bible tells me so. It's right here in our psalm today. Psalm 139. It's a prayer that I have leaned on in good times and bad, in peace and in turmoil. When I've been confident of God's presence with me and when I've been more doubtful about that. It's all contained. The psalm speaks to all of that. And common prayers like this, that's what the psalms are, they are common prayers. Common prayers like this remind us that the people of God have been here before, and they held on to God and prayed their way through it. And that, my friends, is what we are doing today. The lectionary gives us two excerpts from Psalm 139, but I would like for us to look at the whole psalm because it offers us such a great resource and model for prayer in troubling times. It begins, Lord, you have searched me out and known me. And it goes on to offer a beautiful assurance of God's knowledge and God's steadfast presence, which is so comforting, isn't it? Don't we all want that? Don't we all want to know that we are known and seen and attended to? But it's also a little bit unsettling, isn't it? Wait, you're acquainted with all my ways? Not a word, not a single word is on my tongue before you know it altogether? 
Does that mean that you heard what I said when I was alone in my car in traffic the other day and slightly miffed at another driver? Uh-oh. You discern my thoughts from afar, too? Does that mean that you heard what was running through my head during that last really long meeting also? What must you think of me, oh God? Perhaps that's why the psalm goes on to ask next, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence, O God? If I ascend to heaven or make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take wing with the dawn or dwell at the ends of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand hold me fast. We cannot escape God's presence, the psalm is saying, and that is a comfort and that's a challenge. That means that there's nowhere, no way to hide. That you can't un outrun your problems. You can't outrun yourselves. You can't outrun God's judgment or love. So you might as well hunker down right where you are and face what you need to learn what you can right where you are. In light of that fact, in light of that intimate knowledge, it's quite something that the psalmist can go on to claim in the very next breath. You yourself created me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. Take a moment and let those words for you sink in. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is that of God in you. That which is deepest within you is of God, and it is good. In fact, I believe it's this, both God's intimate knowledge and God's blessing, that make the next part of the psalm the part that's almost never read aloud in church, possible. Oh, the psalmist goes on, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I hate them with perfect hatred? I count them my enemies. Ouch. No wonder the lectionary leaves this out. It's uncomfortable. It's embarrassing. It's, well, it's just not nice. But isn't it all so true? Don't we all have these thoughts and feelings and prayers like this sometimes? I know I do. And it might seem that such sentiments have no place in the prayer of good and proper Christians, but they do. If prayer, if prayer is being fully in the presence of God, and I believe it is, if prayer is offering our whole selves to God, then that includes the parts of ourselves that we don't understand or just don't. Like. That includes 
our conflicting values and loyalties, our darker thoughts and emotions, our anger, fear, shame, envy, grief, powerlessness. That includes the stories and experiences, the parts of our history, our community, our society that embarrass or confound us. Because here's the thing, they're here anyway. We are saints, yes, and we are sinners too. They are there and they have more power over us when we try to stuff them down in denial or shame. And when we do that, they can seep out in an explosion on the people closest to us at the end of a long day of stuffing it all down, pretending it's all okay. They can seep out in acts of violence against others or ourselves or in all kinds of self-defense mechanisms or cover-up schemes that separate us from God and others. And the less conscious we are of them, the more they can be manipulated or used for bad or evil. Now, please know I am not advocating spilling out your emotions and thoughts all over other people in a this is me, take it or leave it kind of way that absolves you of all responsibility or in a way that makes you feel better but leaves someone else holding your mess. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about offering them, entrusting, surrendering, all of it in a trusting, faithful relationship. But the difference here is the presence and love of a divine other whose judgment is true and merciful and who knows you already and holds you and leads you, who desires healing for you and for others and who will not abandon you to your darker impulses. And that leads to another difference, the posture in which we come before this divine other, the posture with which we come into prayer, which is a posture of trust and humility and curiosity, not self-justification. Look at what the psalmist prays next, right after cursing out those enemies, right after naming that hatred. Search me, O God, the psalmist prays, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me, too, and lead me in the way of everlasting righteousness. You see, the psalmist is seeking protection from evil without and evil within. The psalmist is seeking guidance, truth, and self-awareness, saying in so many words, this is here too, this hatred. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm, I'm a little bit scared of it. And so I offer it to you, God, for healing. 
This is the posture we assume in prayer. We offer all of ourselves for healing and transformation and for communion in the presence of one who knows us already intimately and calls us good. And that, my friends, changes everything. As Howard Thurman says, it makes you free at your center. It changes our relationship with those confusing, embarrassing, or tragic parts of our individual and corporate stories. There's no need to hide or defend or rationalize them because God knows and inhabits them. God is at work in them, in them through us and in us through them. God is already shaping them and us into vessels of God's light and love. Our job is to pay attention, to learn and grow as we're able, and to cooperate with what God is doing. This changes our relationship to others, too, of course. This weekend, we celebrate and remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose centering in God was the source of his vision and of his experience, his experience of beloved community. As King was able to claim that he was a beloved child of God who also had work to do, he could claim that for others too, black and white, oppressor and oppressed alike. They too were beloved children of God who also had work to do. And with that, King was able to strive for change in a way that respected the dignity of all people and interrupted the cycle of violence. His assurance of God's presence with him and in this world anchored him amid the changes and chances of his life and time. And it freed him and empowered him for courageous action. Yes, prayer changes things. It changes us. It changes our relationships. It changes our world. So let us pray for the sake of healing and transformation. Let us show up as honestly and openly as we can and offer what is deepest and truest in ourselves, our longing for meaning and purpose, for love and belonging, for safety and peace and justice for all people. And let us listen. Beneath all the rhetoric, beneath all the fear and the assumptions and the opinions and differences, let us listen for what is truest and deepest in others, the hurts and hopes and longings, even of our enemies or those we might consider enemies. In this time, let us hold on to what and who we know, God. Let us hold on to God who holds us, who holds us together. Let us receive God's healing for ourselves, and from there, let us 
be agents of healing for this world. Amen.